Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Will the city of Surrey stick with the RCMP? That's what Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke wants. She's got a majority on that council. They want to keep the Mounties. Now, that's the opposite of what the provincial government wants. Remember, the province is pressuring Surrey, and they've been tightening the screws here in the last few days. They want them to go with this new Surrey Police Service, phase out the RCMP. Now, who's going to win here? Who's going to win this fight? 11 a.m., that's when we expect a live news conference here from Brenda Locke, the mayor of Surrey. We're going to bring you that live. Now, you heard my conversation there, Brian Sove, of course, He's arguing that Surrey should keep the Mounties. He's the president of their union. I spoke to his counterpart here uh, yesterday on the show, Darren Shepard. Now, he's the director of the union at the Surrey Police Service. And we talked about why he thinks that transition should continue and the RCMP should come to an end in the city of Surrey. One of the things that he's argued is that the city of Surrey is drawing police officers from across Canada to this new police force. They grew up in Surrey. They want to come home. Here's what he had to say to me yesterday. There's members that uh, joined the RCMP, people that grew up in the city of Surrey, still have family ties and roots here and wanted the chance to come home. Uh, perhaps they were posted to a uh, detachment in northern Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, this is an opportunity for them to return to the community that they want to serve in, to serve the people that uh, um, and raise their kids uh, in the environment where they grew up themselves. Okay, let's check in with the leader of the opposition here now, Kevin Falcon, leader of the BC United in the legislature. Kevin, thank you for coming on today. And thanks very much for having me, Mike. Okay, this is a big day on this policing story. Let me get your take on that first. You think that Surrey should go with this new Surrey Police Service, right? Because the province has put a, a pile of money on the table for them to do that. You think they should take the money, correct? Well, no, look, here's what I've always said, Mike, is what I find frustrating is probably what the public in, in Surrey always tells me, uh, which is none of us have any friggin' information on this thing. Um, you know, when, when Farnworth released that report, 80% of it was blacked out. Um, so none of us, I'm the leader of the opposition, I don't even have the basic facts on this thing because we've got the most secretive government in Canada and even the councillors and the mayor are being forced to sign non-disclosure agreements before they can even look at this report. It's frustrating as all heck. Okay, who should have the hammer here though? Is it Should be the province makes the final call on this or, or should the city of Surrey, Surrey City Hall, the mayor, the council, should they decide it? Well, you know, Typically, it's the local governments that should be making these decisions. The problem yeah. is this has dragged on now for years. And because the government, the provincial government, has just been completely absent from this situation, they've allowed this thing to fester and become such a crisis. that now you've got a situation of so much uncertainty in Surrey that you literally, ha- it's time for the province to actually, they've got to put on their big boy pants, as I often say, and, and, and show some leadership here and get this thing resolved because it's creating a huge crisis in this community. Okay, we're following this closely. It's a big day on this file. We'll see what happens here at 11 a.m. While I have you here, let's talk about another big issue and big story in our province today, and that's BC Hydro. Premier David Eby announcing yesterday 
a call for new power projects, independent <laughs> power producers. I know you're laughing because there's, there's a previous liberal government had a lot of these independent projects. Tell me your, tell me your thoughts on this now. Okay, well, this is, this is a beauty because, look, everyone should, I want all your listeners to really understand this. First of all, when we launched the uh, Site C hydroelectric dam project, the NDP opposed that all the way through, as you know. And even when they got into government in 2017, they literally, even though four, over $4 billion had already been spent on the construction, they literally halted everything for a year while they figured out whether they wanted to go ahead with it. Because they yeah. came out with this crazy report in 2019 that said, oh, we've got more than enough power. We don't need Site C. We're canceling these independent power projects the evil, terrible BC Liberals did, even though 90% of them were partnered with with First Nations, they were solar, they were wind, they were run of the river, they were fantastic projects that provided additional power to the grid. By the way, it makes up over 20% of the power that's generated in the provinces through independent power projects. And the NDP, as usual, were totally wrong. Thank God they went ahead with Site C because they had no choice, fortunately. But now they're discovering, oh, gee, we do have a power shortage and we're going to have to figure out where to get power. And what are they doing? They're going to do independent power projects. Well, no kidding. You know, if they hadn't canceled a lot of those projects that we already had in partnership with First Nations, they wouldn't be in the position they're in today. Okay, well, of course, EB, he was asked about this yesterday, saying, well, wait a second, weren't the Liberals doing this already and you guys canceled? He said, no, you guys had signed a, a bad deal here. The costs were going to be too high. Here's what he had to say yesterday about your deals in the previous government, and then I'll get your thoughts. Here's EB yesterday. Hydro had to, was required by law to buy all of that electricity, whether it was needed or not, above the market rate. They often had to sell it at a loss. Uh, that drove up their costs. And what do you say to that? We just have one minute left here, Kevin Falcon. Oh, sure. Well, let's let's understand. We're talking about a guy who's never spent five minutes in the business world, okay? So the bottom line is, of course, it's going to be above the rate that Hydro is able to charge. Hydro has what we call legacy power, which is, you know, investments that were made 50 years ago. So, of course, their cost of power is going to be much cheaper. You get new power, it's going to cost you more money. But the bottom line is, this was clean power, solar, wind, a run of the river. Uh, it made a ton of sense. Partnerships with First Nations. They're going to be doing exactly the same thing, but I'll bet you they'll screw it all up and they won't actually get the power they need because they'll interfere and and, uh, don't know what they're doing. We'll see what happens. Thank you for your time today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Let's talk about another shooting at one of the most dangerous encampments we've seen in British Columbia. I'm talking about the one in Nanaimo. Now, on yesterday's show, we talked about the Lonzo Road encampment in Abbotsford. That one had been called the most dangerous encampment, homeless encampment in the province. There have been literally thousands of police calls down to that encampment there in Abbotsford. But I'll tell you, I think Nanaimo could give them a run for their money here. There's so many problems there. Remember on an earlier show, I talked to Clint Smith. He's the local Nanaimo man, runs an auto repair shop there, was shot in the stomach when he went down to that encampment to try and retrieve some stolen property. Now we got another shooting in Nanaimo over the weekend related to an encampment. We got some great guests standing by to talk about this. Have a listen to this report here from Czech News here, and they're very, they're very excellent reporter here, Kendall Hansen. Let's listen. First responders arrive on Terminal Avenue in Nanaimo Wednesday afternoon after reports of gunfire in a steep wooded area off the road. 
and they were getting ropes and a, a stretcher to go down the embankment. Uh, and eventually what they did bring up was uh, one person and they put them in the ambulance and took off code three with lights and siren going. Police say when their members arrived, they found a severely injured man on the brink of dying. Our members uh, provided emergency first aid, basically saved that person's life. Okay, so there's another shooting related to an encampment in Nanaimo just on the weekend. Remember what happened to Clint Smith? The local business owner went down to that encampment some months ago. He got shot in the stomach. He nearly died, just barely, barely survived that shooting. He actually went up to Mike Farnworth. Listen to this here now, because the public safety minister, Mike Farnworth, was up in Nanaimo. And Clint Smith, this guy who got shot down there, he just went right up to Farnworth, got in his grill here. Have a listen. None of you guys, after I got shot, made a single effort to communicate with me. Do something about it. That's what we're trying to do. A whole lot less lip service and a whole lot more action that's, is required, Mike. Yeah, a lot of people in Nanaimo are asking for action. We saw action in Abbotsford this week to clean up the encampment there. What's going on in Nanaimo? Let's check in with a couple of key community leaders there. Colin Middleton, very pleased to welcome him back. Nanaimo Area Public Safety Association. Colin, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Also on the line is Karen Kowicka. Am I pronouncing your name right, Karen? Correct. Oh, thank you, Karen. Karen Kowicka is with the Newcastle Community Association in Nanaimo. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. Okay, thank you to both of you for being here. Colin, first, let me go to you first. This latest shooting here at the encampment here, this appears to be, what, some sort of internal dispute there? I mean, this wasn't another case of a local citizen going down there to get stolen property back again, was it? This, is, this sounds like it's some internal squabble. Yeah, I, I, that definitely not. Um, as far as I know, not somebody trying to retrieve stolen property. Um, yeah. This was, uh, but this this encampment is notorious. I mean, there's people that are frequenting this this encampment um, that that are you know both housed and unhoused, um, living in the community uh, a lot. Uh, mostly involved in uh, street level uh, drug and and crime uh various levels of organization yeah yeah i mean this is just you know you got people getting shot here on a regular basis there was a stabbing there in nanaimo on the weekend too karen what are your thoughts on this this has been a problem uh, spot for years going on years now uh it's ministry of transportation and highway or infrastructure, MOTI, uh, easement from the Pearson, Pearson Bridge and the highway. And uh, Newcastle Community Association has been liaising with the city. The city has the contract for MOTI to uh, address any issues there. And uh, we've been advocating for years now to have this cleaned up. And there's been um, propane tank explosions. There's been fires. There's been physical altercations that spill out into the road. There's um, a high level of, of pedestrian traffic, and people are often, uh, you know, uh, uh, in their high, and they yeah. run out into traffic. There's been a four-car pileup because somebody, a driver, stopped short to not hit a pedestrian. Uh, there's fencing going on, stolen property hoarded, there's drug trafficking, there's drug use. Uh, there used to be a built-in encampment um, in one area that was cleared out about a year and a half 
ago, maybe two years ago now. And yeah. it was built out of um, construction waste material. And the person that was there uh, was actually living in supportive housing and then going down to their um, embankment cabin and carrying on with their various activities. And uh, that created a lot of the pedestrian traffic. It's a real problem area. And uh, cleanup efforts are extremely difficult. The embankment used to have a lot of underbrush. Now the underbrush has all been trampled down and it's destabilized the embankment. Uh, so for city workers or contracted workers to go down and clear that area out, it's not even safe anymore. And now that uh, there is constant understanding that it's there's weapons and that it's a dangerous place to be, the volunteer organizations no longer go down and clean it up. And the last cleanup that was done was in October, and that cost $15,000. And the anticipated cleanup that is uh, apparently upcoming is estimated to be about $20,000. And another method that's used is because it's along the Millstone River embankment, which is a salmon-bearing stream, and it opens into the ocean uh, just under the Pearson Bridge, they float a barge at high tide up the river and then pull all of the waste down. So if you can imagine, there's at least a dozen people sheltering on one side of the embankment, and they have been there unchecked since October. So you can imagine the level of garbage that has piled up. And remember, this is a protected salmon stream. So all of that waste, human waste, so human waste from a dozen people for, what's this, at least six months, we're going on um, heading into eight months now, on that embankment, it, it is It's disgusting, and really everything falls on the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure to take progressive and preventative action to deal with the problem there. It is unbelievable, Karen, the the picture you're painting there. I I find this astonishing. We're talking to two community leaders in Nanaimo, Karen Kawika, Colin Middleton, about the encampments in this city. We had another shooting there on the weekend here at this at this encampment, uh, police saved the life of a guy who was shot shot there on the weekend. Let's listen to a witness here who saw this shooting, Kevin Shaw. So here he is speaking to Czech News. Let's listen. Why this uh, this uh, street uh, criminal encampment has been left in place for three months now is insane and crazy, and heads with whatever governments should start to roll. This is endangering this community. Yeah, he's talking about, you know, the months that have passed since Clint Smith was was also shot in relation to a, an encampment. Colin, you know, it's interesting that the land we're talking about here in Nanaimo, where this encampment, this particular encampment is located, is provincial. This is provincial land, which is very similar to Abbotsford. That was provincial land there with the, the problem-plagued encampment there. And the province, we saw the province step in there with millions of dollars to try and uh, fix that one. What is going on in Nanaimo? Like, what have you guys heard from government in terms of help for fixing up, for solving your problems? I have an email box. (laughs) Sorry, you're talking to Colin. Yeah, I'll I'll let Colin go here, Karen. Hang on, I don't get back to you here. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, I mean, Karen knows the status of of that particular encampment um, better than I. You know, this is something that the, the Newcastle Community Association has been dealing with for a couple of years. And it's right next door to the 
to the Terminal Avenue uh, SRO. It's across the street from the old white spot, which is now being used by the Salvation Army to cook their food uh, to, to give out to people because of uh, fire code issues at the, um, at the New Hope Centre. It's also right next door to the Castaway Motel, which is, um, which is one of the uh, motels where BC Housing is subsidizing um, people staying there. And yeah, all the all the issues with with um, you know pedestrians or whatever. But in in the Nanaimo overall, yeah. um, you know the, it just continues. You know, they, this week alone, I mean, just last night, they, there was a um, uh, two individuals got into a knife fight, and somebody was running into the poor place mall to get help. And there was eight police cars that descended on the scene. Um, witnesses to that. There was. Yesterday morning, I got photos from neighbors of somebody wielding a a club in front of the Safer Supply Pharmacy up the street from me. Um, earlier this week, there was a 15-year-old girl that was arrested for selling oxys and dillies right in front of this Safer Supply uh, Pharmacy. So, like, and and all this stuff is happening so fast that not all of it's even hitting the news uh, because yeah. they can't keep up. Like, this is, you know, we're at, at the at a citywide level like we've been calling on the provincial and federal governments to step in for months now i mean the shooting um of clint back in in march was sort of like the flashpoint but we had already been advocating and holding rallies for months before that and then in april we had the the province-wide enough is enough rallies and i went down yeah. to to victoria to to give them a piece of my mind in person and now like you know th- this it, it just it just continues and and um, the action that you know that, that is promised they're all good announcements they're all things that we know need to happen that, that at this point in time it's we need we need the boots on the ground for this to stop we need the we need the, the resources in place yesterday um, the mental health and addiction support the housing and affordability support, the judicial system and law enforcement support yesterday. I mean, it's just, it, it, it just, it's not going to get better until those, until those resources are in place and functional. Um, And that's what's so frustrating about all this. So, okay. We're uh, talking about the continuing mayhem in the city of Nanaimo with the encampments there. Community leaders, Karen Kuwaka, Colin Middleton are my guests. We had another shooting at an encampment in Nanaimo on the weekend. Investigation still continuing there. A person shot, uh, survived that shooting. Remember, it was just a few months ago. Clint Smith, the local auto repair shop owner, went down to an encampment, try and get back some stolen property. He was shot in the stomach, nearly killed. He's been a guest here on the show in the past. And we, uh, my phone lines are open to you. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Rob in Chilliwack, go ahead. Good morning, Mike. Uh, just quickly, your question there. As for my community out in Chilliwack, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of drugs going on there for sure. Is it anything like Nanaimo? And I haven't been in Nanaimo in years, but it, 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 you know, they have a situation out there too. Like I say, nothing remotely close. But in terms of, of uh, fixing this, look at there's a former NDP MLA, Leonard Krogh. It's the same as what Vancouver dealt with on the downtown east side when Kennedy Stewart was in, former NDP MP. They're two bleeding, they're this bleeding heart attitude. Leonard Krogh has to develop a plan like Ken Sim did with the RCMP and go in and remove that encampment. 
you know, and, and they have to get they have to get society straight again. But the NDP, their head has been buried in the sand so much in terms of public safety. You know, everybody has rights. Everybody has rights. Well, guess what? The taxpayer has rights, too. And it's time yeah. to, like I said, get their head out of the sand and quit. You know, they're too busy handing out e-bike rebates, millions of dollars on that. Put it towards something, man. Okay, thank, thank you for the call. Okay, Karen, you know, it is interesting that the mayor of Nanaimo is a former NDP MLA, so you'd think he would have a, a considerable amount of pull and sway in, in Victoria. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about what the caller said? Your thoughts? Uh, I think that uh, uh, he's our, our mayor, Leonard Cog, uh, Frog, uh, Cog, is very aware of uh, the situation, and... Uh, yeah. He's advocating for the things that he feels the city is responsible for. Um, he does have relationships with, um, you know, people of political influence. I think he's doing sure. his best. Uh, but a lot of people don't agree. They they feel like more should be done. And it's because the frustration of, of experiencing this distress on an ongoing basis, it, it leads to people just, you know, pointing their finger everywhere. Right now, uh, it looks like it's possible there... Uh, uh, a search warrant's being executed on the embankment, and I live um, just a block away from it. And there's seven officers there, and they just pulled a crossbow out of the an, an encampment down there. So, you know, is that is that happening right now? You're saying there are police down right there now. right now with a search with a search warrant. Uh, I'm assuming it's a search warrant because there's okay. a number of officers there. Uh, looking around and so that that would be logical given yeah. uh, the the incident down there but that embankment is a constant problem it, it has can, if, been and like okay. i said we've been mm-hmm. colin go ahead we got 30 yeah. seconds here go ahead yes yeah, sir i just wanted to say to your to your caller too i mean realize that mayor Krog, he he is a leader amongst all of the mayors in bc speaking out about the issues here i mean uh, yeah I, I don't i don't disagree that that um you know there are things that the city does need to to do but really i mean if there's one city in this province who is advocating strongly for the kinds of change at the provincial and federal level that needs to happen, regardless of, of Mayor Krogh's, um political affiliation, he's really on the money. But people aren't listening to him, and that's the problem. Okay. So, I want to yeah. thank you. I want to thank you both, and I, and I congratulate you both, too, for stepping up and being community leaders on, on these important files. Karen Kowicka, Colin Middleton, thank you guys for your time. talk about your retirement plans your retirement dreams now and if you're of retirement age a lot of older canadians now they still have to go to work this is such a tough economy here right now i know lots of people who are over age 65 still working not necessarily by choice but by necessity some people enjoy working they want to keep working because they enjoy it and others are just they don't they can't make ends meet a lot of seniors on fixed incomes. And just look at the double whammy we got now. You got inflation, and then you got these higher interest rates as well. And this is really putting the squeeze on a lot of seniors. Some seniors choosing to dip into their retirement savings if they have any. A lot of seniors don't have any retirement savings. They're on a fixed income. Check out this opinion poll here now, Abacus Data. It took a look at Canadians are struggling 
to retire. They can't afford to retire. Many of them say they don't have any savings at all to dip into. 44% of non-retired Canadians between 55 and 64 have less than $5,000 in savings. This is a bleak picture for a lot of our seniors here right now. Got Rabina Ahmed Hawk standing by to discuss. Have a listen to this first. This is Peggy, uh, Peggy Prendergast. She is 90 years old. She is still working as, a, as an art instructor, but she is feeling the squeeze. She's looking for another job as well to make ends meet. Have a listen. Now I'm really struggling because my pension is still... I still get the same dollars. It's very scary. I don't want to sell my house. Okay. Yeah, a lot of Canadians are in the same boat. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Rabina Ahmed Haq. Rabina is a personal finance expert. I absolutely recommend Rabina's show for what it's worth on Saturdays, 9 a.m., on CKNW, Sundays at 5 a.m. You can hear it across Canada. Rabina, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. And I'm sure you must hear this a lot from seniors who are saying like, wow, like I just, I'm struggling here. I don't have the savings. The, the fixed income pension I'm on here is is not enough. Man, are you hearing about a lot of seniors who are just, they got to keep working. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people, like you said, are working out of necessity. You know, we often talk about the boomer generation and the transfer of wealth, and we get this picture that, you know, older Canadians are just swimming in all this real estate wealth, and they're doing so well. But there is a, a big segment of, uh, of seniors who have not been able to save for retirement for whatever the reasons. Uh, they haven't had a great workplace pension. Maybe they changed jobs along the way or they have their own business and they haven't been able to save for retirement. And those numbers, I got to say, surprised me too. One in five have no savings whatsoever. 40% have less than $5,000 in savings. I mean, that's not going to get you very far if you retire at the age of 65. You can you can count on some government benefits, uh, OAS uh, and, and CPP, if you, if, you, if you are making money and contributing to that. Uh, but that, that doesn't go very far. And that, that really does show that, that that fixed amount of money that most seniors are on, inflation is eroding it because what they could yeah. afford three years ago, they can't afford today. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that inflation pressure there, Rabina, for sure. I mean, inflation has you know, I've been cooling off a little bit, but but still ticking along. What kind of squeeze is that putting on people, especially older Canadians? So inflation data shows that uh, grocery prices are still above or around 10%. So everyday wow. items are still very expensive. So yes, uh, overall, because it's a basket of goods that CPI looks at, uh, numbers have come down. Some of that has been because of gasoline prices coming down. Um, and But overall, when we're looking at it, those household necessities like groceries and things that you need from your home, they're still very expensive year over year. And so, yes, they may look at that data and say, OK, fine, inflation's coming down, but not for me. My life is still feeling very expensive compared to last year and everything else, all my fixed costs are um, have remained the same. It's not like those are, you know, I'm getting a discount on those. And the fixed income, it's not like I'm getting all of a sudden a 10% increase on that. That has remained steady as well. But all these other costs are, are continuing to rise. Yeah. And when those costs are going up, people are looking, a lot of people at retirement age, they can't retire. They can't, they can't afford to retire. Let's have a listen to Bill Van Gorder here. Bill is the chief operating officer 
Canadian Association of Retired Persons. Let's listen to him, Rabina, and then I'll get your thoughts. Let's listen. Things like gasoline, groceries, uh, rents, uh, mortgages, all those things have really hit seniors very, very hard. The old-fashioned concept of uh, retirement is is past. Yeah, okay, so you heard him talk about some of those necessities, groceries, gasoline, rent, like keeping a roof over your head, putting food on your table. These are areas where it's difficult, <laughs> difficult if not impossible, to cut back. I mean, it's not like these are discretionary discretionary expenses, Rabina. Your thoughts? Yeah, and especially seniors who are renting. So there's, uh, we've heard this uh, across the country, especially in big cities like Vancouver and Toronto, where uh, seniors are renting or anyone is renting, and that landlord decides to sell that home, and the person that moves in says, well, I'm moving in. And so then even though you have been paying rent and getting those increases uh, according to what the municipality sets, all of a sudden you're in a market where rents have skyrocketed compared to what you first started paying. So your salary doesn't change or your income doesn't change, but you find yourself in a market where you can't afford the house that you used to have because you've been, they call it renovictions, right? So they renovate yeah. and, and, and evict their tenants. And so the people, older people are falling, not they are falling victim to it because um, landlords, you know, they want to cash out, they want to get their money. And many times they're evicting people who are, who are, you know, have been in those homes for 10, 15 years and have been paying rent that they can afford. And that's why they're able to live there. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're paying thousands more just to, to rent a similar place. Right. Okay. So inflation putting the squeeze on a, on a lot of people, especially if you're on that fixed income. What about this uh, increase in interest rates? So we had the Bank of Canada the other day hike interest rates again. So up to 4.75% is the central bank rate. That surprised a few people. Uh, the central bank also warning, you know, buckle up. There may be more interest rates to come. How does that hit with seniors? Like, you know, if you've still got a mortgage or you've got a, maybe a home equity line of credit or a loan or any other kind of debt, I mean, this is, this is putting the squeeze on people, correct? It is. And, you know, we all, again, we have this impression that seniors retire and they retire with no debt and they only have yeah. their everyday expenses. Many of them are retiring with debt. Some of them are taking reverse mortgages. And so even though they don't have to make payments, that money is being eroded faster because interest rates have gone up. Uh, some of them are, you know, they've taken money out of a home equity line of credit because say their home values have gone up and their kids have come and said, you know, I can't afford to buy a house. Home prices are oh, through the roof. Could you help me out? So they took money out of their line of credit. Now that debt has gone, gotten more expensive. Now, whether their kids are helping them with those extra interest payments or not, the point is the money, they owe the money. They're responsible for paying it back because it's out of their own home equity line of credit. So absolutely. I mean, interest rates, we always think of homeowners and those on variable rate mortgages. It affects a different segments as well because sometimes you may not have been debt for you may be mortgage free for 20 years but then all of a sudden your kids need help and you go back into that you know uh, that home equity line of credit take some money out and that money can get really expensive uh, because of interest rates how fast right. they come up right and how about that that reverse mortgage idea that you mentioned I, I know a lot of people look at that and say okay maybe i can use the equity in my home here to get an income stream going for myself to make to make make do like when you talk to your client or people who come to you for help and advice do you do you think that a reverse mortgage is a good idea 
So, you know, like any other personal finance um, decision, it's really personal. I don't think that reverse mortgage should be the first option. I think that you should exhaust all other options. Um, It is a really expensive way to fund your retirement, and it completely erodes your financial legacy. So if you're in a situation where your children are doing well, they've got well-paying jobs, uh, you know, maybe you have wealth somewhere where you're going to be able to leave them something that, that that's what you want to do. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't want to leave them anything. You feel they're going to be fine. Then you could use the equity in the home to fund your retirement. But I think that there really needs to be some hard math done as to uh, what it's going to mean for your financial legacy. It could mean zero inheritance, quite literally. And also, uh, when interest rates rise, how fast is that, that, that equity going to be eroded? Uh, what happens if... If, if you get to the point where, you're, where your debt to this reverse mortgage company is more than uh, what your house is worth. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. You got to think real carefully about this stuff. What about dipping into your RSP savings? A lot of people don't have any money set aside into an RSP, as we see in this poll here. But if you do have some money socked away in an RSP, does it make sense to you know, start dipping into that? Well, the RSP is literally created for retirement, so it makes yeah. the most sense at that point to, to dip into it because you won't face. What if you're not? What if you're not retired? What if you're not retired yet and you're still feeling the pinch? Yeah, this is the thing, right? So if your RSP, you've got money sitting in there, and you're thinking that could really help me pay my credit card down. Yeah. Really think about the tax implications. So do the math of you know what you're going to have to pay in income tax on that money, and is it worth it? Would it be better to go to the bank and get a low-interest loan, which you then be on a payment plan? Would it be better to take money out of the home equity line of credit, borrow from somebody that may be able to lend to you? So that, to me, before retirement, that's a last resort. After retirement, that's the first place you should go. Sure, sure. Okay, and what about just going back to work? I mean, this is this is the conundrum a lot of people feel like. They don't want to work, but it's necessity. And I've talked to seniors who are doing, like, service jobs, uh, security jobs, you know, re, you know, working in a retail store. And you see a lot of older people working now. Like, a, a lot of people are just, they, they don't have any other option, do they? Yeah, and the the problem with the labor market, you know, we talk a lot about how tight the labor market is. A lot of the jobs that are being offered are in the lowest income and yeah. some of the most labor intensive. So like you said, you're on your feet all day in retail or you're working in a restaurant or hospitality. So you're constantly moving around. It's not a job where someone maybe who's over the age of 65, maybe even physically would want to do that kind of job. So really think about your overall physical health before you take on any other job. Um, and is that income going to actually help you or is it going to claw back your OAS? You know, really do the math with that. And if you have a specialized skill and, you know, this, this, this is something that I think a lot of older people don't recognize, that if you worked in, in, a, in an industry for 20, 30, 35 years, you are a subject matter expert in that. You could consult and consulting can actually pay quite well. Uh, if you get into, you know, get into that role. And that's not something that would be as labor intensive, but it could be something that could help you pay your day-to-day bills. Okay, lots of people feeling the stresses and strains out there. Rabina, thank you for coming on with your thoughts and analysis on it today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.